Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra and I'm Gayatri. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. This episode of the Software People Stories features Cynthia Srinivas, Vice President Engineering, Software Center of Excellence, Compute Business Group, and HPE India site leader. Cynthia walks us through her career path of over three decades, from when and how she chose to study computer science, and bringing a "give it my best" attitude from the very beginning. She is a customer-first person. and shares what it takes to keep the focus on understanding problems first and foremost and then seeking the best solutions she shares from her experience crucial aspects to manage organizational transformations and managing global teams where she says put the first step forward to know the other person and as always leaves listeners with a message for aspiring technologists and engineers listen on hi cynthia very warm welcome to you to the software people stories podcast i've so been looking forward to this conversation It's been quite a while that we've been trying to do this, so I'm really happy that we got the time and space to do it now. Very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Chitra. I'm really uh, happy to be part of this. I know I've been evading this for a long time, so I'm happy I'm be able to make time for it. We usually ask the guests who come on this podcast, you know, to start by introducing us to your origin story. I know of you as an engineer. and somebody who's worked in technology and engineering companies but where did this all begin how did you choose to become an engineer yeah i would say that goes back to my childhood i was i used to love math and science in school those are the subjects where i really scored the highest and uh, that really got me interested that when i finished my grade 10 and i wanted to uh, select that's when you really choose whether you want to you know do your medicine engineering or arts or whatever and my mom actually wanted me to be a doctor in that interview i remember i told the principal you know i'm going to choose computer science because that was the first batch of computer science i think in school and i was really scared of looking at all those big books that people study you know people who wanted to become doctors and i am like i don't think i'm cut out for that you know and i always liked logic for me it was a natural choice that i preferred the logical sciences over biological sciences that's when it started i just enjoyed the journey obviously you know those days it was you know either you had to do mathematics or an engineering or a chartered accountancy or medicine and engineering somehow seemed to be a natural choice i wrote the engineering entrance examination got a merit seat i was uh, the second batch of computer science from the university that i graduated from i think i was privileged to be part of uh, that batch I think you know having chosen computer science then i have been in this industry for three decades now and i've seen the ups and downs i have thoroughly enjoyed it chitra three decades and where it all started <laughs> <laughs> i can't imagine but here we all are many many questions coming in my mind you started out your career and you've practically worked i think in almost all aspects of uh, and working on the engineering side in tech companies what stands out as in some of your early experiences as learnings that you took and sort of built on 
into your career so i was a the first woman engineer in my extended family you know being a child one of the things that my father did was one thing that he inculcated in me was you know whatever you do you give it your best and you have to you cannot just be happy with saying you know i also ran right so that was kind of inculcated in me right from childhood so when i started my career first with wipro the first time they put me on customers i was in technical customer support and i was you know handling some of the key customers on in the west coast of india and that also required me to travel quite often and being uh, brought up in a very protective environment at home so one of the things was would i be even able to do this but i was gay i am like no i'm going to try and do this you know there's nothing that's going to stop me so it started there and uh, i come from an i would say it looks like an era and i'm feeling really old when i'm saying this you know when i started my career there was no email pager mobile no internet and that's how you know i started my career with technical support uh, slowly i as i kind of learned the products i also wanted to work on the engineering side of things when i then started working on the engineering and the r&d uh, side of projects i think that's where it started and i think one of the things that i when i look back is i've always been very curious to learn and never uh, satisfied right i for me it was never like okay i'm this is done i i never thought that way now for me i wanted to make my parents proud and i said you know i've done engineering i got a merit seat i'm not going to just throw it away like that and i'm not going to let anything come in the way of building a career you know those days you are in it competing with everybody else there was nothing like coaching formally things like that so it was like pretty much you're on your own but then if you were willing to work hard opportunities always came your way and i was in the industry where i think india was being recognized as a big player in the uh, infotech industry uh, i got all the right opportunities and i think i've been very fortunate to be part of companies and very significant projects right and so that contributed to my learning and like you said one of the things that i consciously did was every 3 years i always looked at hey what can i do differently and i think that change was important for me to keep that excitement and that momentum going and so that also made me explore new roles Uh, sometimes i've just gone into it blindly not knowing what it is and taken things on but you know initially it was it always used to seem daunting it was also challenging and exciting so when i was all and looking back i don't have any regrets i've been very proud of what how far i have come you know that the fact that you said that you just dived into a lot of things is something that i've personally experienced and as well as the Uh, the fact that it could be very daunting at the beginning so i guess i'll ask you this you know what do you do to help you overcome the feeling of you know being overwhelmed or when you step into a new role there's there's so much unknown and as a as a newbie engineer or as a, someone who was starting out your career especially when you say there was no help with respect to technology like there wasn't the internet to look up things and i'm don't know if colleagues were really that helpful to say hey i'll step in and you know coach you on this or mentor this so how did you overcome that and make your way or find your way whenever you were in a new role i started my career in 1990 and you know the first few years it was you know okay you look up documentation i know i was living alone in bangalore away from home for the first time 
uh, after college and i used to spend my saturdays in office trying to dig around trying to do some things on my own and then i never hesitated to ask my senior colleagues for help or ask them to explain something that i didn't understand because i thought that was a better way of learning than make a mistake because anything that i did would impact a customer and i have been on very hot customer calls even in the first few years of my career and so i think uh, i never hesitated to ask you know as i took on different roles one of the things that i would do is i would try to understand the big picture and the context always because you know you you take on a role and it's like okay what is expected of me uh, how am i going to add value to this position or and uh, what am i expected to do i always make sure that i got clarity in some of those either from my manager or from my teammates and i think that really helped chitra i would not settle down for not understanding something you know i would just pull a teammate and say okay let's whiteboard this let's understand this and i think that's helped me the most because even today i do it i want to learn something i would just go to an engineer and say hey i just want to understand this a little more can you help me? some of those provide have provided me a lot of insights uh, which i think is very valuable so when did you then move on to roles like managing teams and managing people and what was that transition like for you because when you are an engineer on your feet and quickly learning things and asking people i've always felt that people are more amenable to teach you to be brainstorming with you and sort of that that camaraderie is there but when you move into a managerial role suddenly something shifts something changes how did you make that transition and what was that like for you the biggest thing that i experienced when i moved into a manager role was hey i'm no longer just responsible for what i do but responsible for what my team does and one of the things that i initially struggled with was decision making i learned at the uh, you know sometimes you make mistakes i always made sure that you know i asked engineers if i had covered everything you know is there something that i'm leaving out and one of the companies that i worked earlier you know was very process driven and we had a separate focus on risk management and risk mitigation and so i so that also kind of helped me think along hey what is it that could go wrong and how do you mitigate this right so i remember some of those lessons even today so when we have a program risk the first thing is okay how do you mitigate this and so what how do you know that this risk is really going to become a reality what are those triggers so i think that was inculcated the way we ran projects and so when i started managing projects and people the one that part definitely helped me right but the other thing also was being an engineer a lot of things was you know you want to know everything but then when you're a manager there's only so much you can do so you have to start trusting people around you right so that is something that i learned uh, not that i was not trusting but you know you have to make that extra effort and be self aware that hey you don't want to walk on people's uh, shoes and let them operate in their space but still hold people uh, accountable for their commitments and i consciously also had to practice that and it's really interesting you know something that you just said earlier is that you made it a point to talk to people and learn more about things when you were uh, facing customers directly and handling all these calls with them to largely avoid making mistakes and when it when the transition to management happened you said decision making is a hard thing and i and i believe that not only newly minted managers but very often even seasoned people it's the hardest thing to do and yet 
you land up learning from mistakes. It's a very interesting contrast. I mean, you may have used a lot of tips and techniques and learned a lot of lessons through your uh, career. How is it that people can get comfortable with taking decisions, even when you're not very sure of all the outcomes and there's no way you can predict all the outcomes and still be okay with whatever the outcome is of the decision that you take? So I think, uh, you know, we don't, we, we plan with certain assumptions in mind. And then one of the things that I learned about project management was always plan to replan. Whatever plans you make, upfront is never going to stick to it till the end of the project. Uh, but you need to be very, making very conscious assumptions and saying, planning for what is going to happen if this assumption doesn't hold good, right? I started thinking about options. You never have all the answers, right? So, okay, if, a ha- if, if this is the situation, then you go towards plan A. This is plan B. If this this scenario, then you go towards plan B. So I think the larger context and the business context is very important. One of the things that I really took away uh, working with customers is, you know, you may be building the greatest product and, you know, and as engineers, we all fall in love with what we create, what our teams create, but it is only good if the customer finds value in it. So it's so important to say, you know, you never reach a perfect solution, but then you say, how do you identify the sweet spot of innovation overlapping with customer benefit? One of the things that I also learned early on when I started having uh, managing global charters out of Bangalore and when I was delivering products for internal customers was, hey, think about what is the user experience? You may have the coolest technology and the coolest product, but if that is not adopted, then it does that it means it doesn't address customer needs. When I was building products with teams, one of the things that I also learned was to consciously take time to do customer listening sessions to understand what is their pain point, right? What is the problem? This was also reinforced in my later years when I started using techniques such as customer-driven innovation to say, what is the actual problem that you're trying to solve? What appears as a problem is not what it may actually be. So deep dive into the problem and then look at what is the best possible solution. Then you get adoption, right? So if you have the greatest product, if nobody using it, it doesn't really matter. So that is something that is important, right? What are those use cases? I mean, you may just be delivering maybe a small part of what the customer needs, but the first signs of success of showing the customer that, hey, this is what it will look like will also help build that trust and confidence in customers. And then you can always kind of iterate because there is no perfect solution, right? What is relevant today may not be relevant tomorrow. Learning to live with, hey, this is what it is today, but we are going to make it better and iterate, I think takes away this, the fear of aiming for perfection, you know, that you might never see in the near future. That's very interesting. I can relate to that because as engineers and working with a lot of really, really smart engineers, there's this sense of, I wanted to be the perfect product. I wanted to be the best product ever. And like you said, there really isn't a best product that the bestness of a product, if I may, is really determined by how, uh, like you said, the customer finding value. Yeah. And and also, you know, I think agile development practices, right? Very iterative development, right? You go with something and then you kind of iterate, you get the next better version of the product. So some of the processes that this industry has adopted and what we've done has also helped in 
fostering that kind of thinking yes and in fact i want to come to that question later because you know especially in the context of large organizations how that works is a curiosity question i have but before we get to that you talked about some really classic mechanisms to get a pulse or sense the pulse of a customer like customer listening sessions and i wanted to ask you a little bit about this customer driven innovation would you be able to share any experience about customer driven innovation and how in your experience it made a difference to the development of the product yeah so in one of the companies i i worked you know customer driven innovation was a way of actually building products so what it meant is you focus on the problem right you don't look you don't decide what the solution is you focus on the problem making sure that you really understand the customer's problem first that you are solving what matters to the customer and then in the process of after you understand the problem you say what is the next best way to solve this problem right so you kind of come up with multiple options and then you narrow down and say okay probably this is what will suit the customer best but that is where you know what will suit the customer best is driven by the customer benefit than how cool you know the uh, uh, you are building the product or what technology you are going to use it's all focused on the customer that's why it's called customer driven innovation and uh, most often we used to do these sessions you know we let's take a problem statement okay let's look at what are all the different possibilities that the customer is facing these problems right then you start narrowing down so how do you kind of state the problem statement right i for example right we have done this in one of the um, when we are writing an epic we said okay what are we going to get at the end of this epic right we say i in the role of say cloud engineer need to do operation xxx but i am so frustrated with the way i am having to manage uh, these operation that it has to be much better simpler faster by twice the reduction in cycle time or lesser effort or things like that so you start having a template in which are you able to articulate the customer's problem when i say customer it could also be the persona yeah like who are you solving this for so once you kind of create the problem statement then you say okay so this is the problem and i'm expected to solve it to derive this outcome then you start looking at what are the different ways in how you want to solve this problem what could be the possible outcomes but what is the outcome that will best fit the customer right and right. so that that's how it you find that sweet spot of innovation and customer benefit nice nice cynthia in fact even though it may have been an example um what i've also begun to appreciate and and also see in your response is the fact that you are actually trying to put in a customer emotion there what is their real pain and uh, i think that gives a lot more impact to uh, requirements uh, you know in this case whether they you know epics translate to stories and further down but it also is a reflection of how requirements gathering has changed i mean if if you recall the earlier technical requirements document or the requirement specifications would rarely incorporate a customer's emotion behind what is really hindering them or frustrating them about not being able to do their jobs right and today yes. as in the form of epics and stories you can actually capture that and reflect that and probably play it back to an engineering team right 
Yes. In fact, when we size stories, we always try to look at that aspect. And that's where you kind of break down the problem, right? How do you solve problems one at a time? And how do you do it iteratively? This goes back to the question that I wanted to ask you. And you you said, you know, the agile methodologies and iterative development have given product teams a kind of agility to respond to customer needs and evolve a product or create a build a better product how does that really work in the context of large organizations you have based on my experience organizations are sort of going through this elastic change you know sometimes you grow and then you shrink and then you hive off uh, fractals of an organization all kinds of things are tried how has this worked or not approach of iterative development for large organizations uh, i think even if the organizations are large chitra i think you kind of have smaller scrum teams and you need to kind of empower those scrum teams to say hey you own the deliverable so you decide how you are going to write your user stories and how are you going to, what are you going to showcase at the end of that particular sprint right i think empowering teams to do this ensuring that you train people it's more of also the mindset i think the mindset the training it's a culture change is what i would say people kind of start liking it when they see that they are able to start delivering product incrementally i have been successful driving it at the from the top you know when i said some of those development processes celebrating some of those achievements right and you del- deliver something at the end of a sprint yes it's of value to the customer so let's go celebrate these are small celebrations which also reinforces that hey you know it's working and keeps the teams motivated so in large organizations i would actually think the other way because in larger organizations that i have worked in i think process plays a big role and so somewhere i think it's easier to kind of have index some of those processes and drive them i have never seen been able to do that effectively in uh, startups right so that again comes back to the velocity the pace at which these organizations operate what matters I have seen it work in large organizations provided we are able to train people I have also worked at an established I wouldn't say startup but uh, you know the the momentum the pace great uh, opportunity role that I enjoyed but things are just so fast right i mean you just have to react to customers globally i didn't think this was an opportunity because of the multiple dependencies that we had so it worked in some areas it didn't work elsewhere <laughs> yeah so that was a that was an interesting contrast in uh, what i thought would actually be the contrary you know the reverse situation but yes i think in also very fast changing environments for whatever reason whether it's a startup or it's just the mode of operation of a certain organization i think uh, moving from reaction to measured response is also you know some sort of a mindset like you say and it kind of leads me to my next question you know you've you've played so many roles through the years with uh, so many different types of organizations that you've worked with you've led uh, large teams through transformations you know which are typically quite hard in to do because uh, there is that natural resistance that all of us have at the end of the day we're all people we're all humans and yet everyone appears to understand the need or the rationale for it but yet it, it's fraught with so many challenges so so what have you know been some of your experiences 
leading organizations or enterprise level organizations through these kind of transformations and what have been some of your takeaways from it transformations are hard and i have had to lead some of these especially when i joined as a new leader as such when you are a new leader people are looking at okay what is she going to come and do right but what i have done, what i have experienced is that first i need to convince myself that this change is the right thing to do because i believe that as a leader i need to be able to stand in front of an organization and without blinking i need to be able to say this is why we need to do something it is important to share that vision and the end state of why we need to do something and take people on along with me right that was very important because at the end of the day it's a question of trust and credibility that i have had to build with teams right and that doesn't come easily unless you know i am being honest i am going to be invested in the team and then i can expect them to kind of walk with me right and so for me transformations are hard but then transformations can be done seamlessly if you focus on the people connections first how do you motivate people what's in it for them there will be resistance to change but then how do you overcome this resistance resistance because people are kind of thinking what's in it for me right will i even keep my job right but then it's important to that some of these transformations are, re- are required just to stay relevant in the industry right and i think you as a leader i've been able to kind of stand in front of my team and explain that to them and said i am i have your back and i am with you on this journey it's a journey nothing is going to change overnight so i think that motivation is very important because i think when you do that people are going to want to stay and work and be on the journey with you and nobody is going to do this just because you know you pay them more and that's a lesson that i have learned time and again as you know i have made some of these changes and i have also made it a point to share some of those success stories with teams to say hey this is what it was you know a year ago and this is how far we've come so people have built that conviction in teams is uh, very important but at the same time uh, you know uh, one of the things that uh, is important is also to make sure that while transformation leads to change i think the framework that will guide us through these changes is the values and principles with acceptable and expected behaviors which is the foundation of the culture of the organization it all has to happen within that cultural framework in the course of that journey while i was trying to accomplish the transformation is going to be done in say 3 to 5 years it was important to keep the people aspect and make sure that people also were felt that they were winning too that they were developing that they learned then it becomes a win win i think establishing that trust and relationships is very important to drive action Uh, and you know always when the transformation starts it's never going to be easy and i have always not shied away from admitting when things were not going great being very uh, transparent and it's also establishing that common purpose and vision because you know one of the things i truly believe is no engineer nobody wants to do a bad job so therefore as a leader it is important to think about how are you going to get your people on board how do what role do they play i think that has been the single biggest factor in driving change and transformation chitra that's very nicely put cynthia in fact i think it's it's so empowering when you said people need to feel like they're winning they're developing and they're learning so it's like we're all part of this transformation together you know knowing you 
as such a seasoned leader, I sort of had to ask that question. So I wanted to go back and talk to you a little bit about what it's been like working with global teams. And every person I've noticed has had their own experience when you suddenly have to start working with teams across the world. Like you said earlier, it can get daunting and suddenly there's so much more to be done, right? From establishing that connect, that relationship, and then actually getting work done, it can take quite an effort. And sometimes you feel like it's not going anywhere at all before it begins to go, you know, nicely and smoothly. So based on your experiences, and I'm sure you have a wealth of them, what is it that you could share with people who take on these kind of global roles and perhaps even global leadership roles? So, you know, I'm just reminded of the global uh, charter that I was driving out of Bangalore, where I had teams even in the US reporting into me from multiple locations. You know, for me, it was no different than managing my teams locally in Bangalore. And that was an aha moment because, you know, though it's a different culture, different time zone, of course, it required me to stretch, but people are the same. I mean, you have to invest in people no matter what. And uh, people need to know that they are valued. I think when you trust people to do something and you truly empower them, I think teams will deliver, right? This is in the my capacity as a manager who is leading teams. Now, over the course of uh, my uh, experience across multiple companies and leadership roles, uh, one of the is establishing that trust and relationships is extremely important. And so whenever I have taken on a new role, again, it's new peers, new stakeholders. I have always tried to establish that connect to understand, you know, how much can I learn from them? I have been shameless in asking, you know, please tell me, what should I know? Right? Who should I go to? Right? I mean, this is something, what am I missing? Is my understanding right? I think it's important to get these. And, you know, I should say, I think I have had great peers, always been willing to help. I think you just need to ask, not shy away from asking, uh, because I think they also want to make sure that, hey, you understand the bigger picture and they, it, it's collective success, right? I mean, if I fail, I know it's going to be a collective failure. And if I don't drive the right things, it's not going to work either. So uh, I think people are always willing to help, but it's also important that whenever I was new to an ecosystem, it was the onus was on me to establish those comments, try to understand more, keep asking for information, keep reading up, ask people locally if I don't understand something. I think that stakeholder connect, checking in and periodically connecting with people, both in a formal setting as well as you know when you travel, uh, understand what people like, what are your areas of interest. I believe human beings are the same everywhere, irrespective of culture, nationality. And uh, I think it's important to build that connect. And I can tell you from my experience, I onboarded two times I've changed companies during this COVID time. And you can imagine how difficult it must have been to virtually onboard. But uh, I surprised myself and I was able to kind of meet with people, take on the uh, role, start driving things. So then, you know, it's again a reinforcement that what matters is uh, you are anyway remote, but so it's all the more important to establish the trust. Yeah, in fact, uh, how did you manage it during these uh, two very, very difficult years? It's been very tough. It's been long days, physically tiring, mentally exhausting. You know, by as a person, I'm somebody who takes on something and doesn't, uh, I don't give up. 
the other thing is that when you're in a leadership role, it's not just a sense of personal accomplishments, also that you're representing a large team. And as a leader, I know that I have, I'm representing my team. So if I'm not getting it right, then, you know, it's going to impact them. So there's always this healthy pressure, if I might call it. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, you know, these two years, I think, turned every funda on its head. You know, I'm wondering if you're just being the person you are, who's really strong and, you know, committed to do the right thing. Even then, it must have taken quite some toll to actually... Yeah. Uh, get things going yeah it yeah. did because you know i'm the kind of person who will just walk across an engineer's uh, seat and then sit with the person and you know understand what's going on just across the table so here being in a newer environment and trying to get everything over a meeting definitely is was more time consuming you know so much of virtual uh, screen time i'm just hoping that phase is going to come to an end soon yeah certainly certainly i think there are many people who are hoping I mean, including myself, that although we, we have started in-person work for several weeks now, and we can definitely see the difference. Wonder what, what will come next that will have to change our ways of working. If I noticed that we're sort of coming to the end of this conversation. I always ask my guests, what messages would they like to leave for people aspiring to have a career in technology and engineering? You know, I think being in this industry for more than three decades, I have witnessed technology revolutions or disruptions, as you might call it. Uh, having come into this industry at a time when there was no internet, no mobile, <laughs> no email. And then, you know, we've seen the internet explode and then cloud, big data, mobile and now, uh, you know, the world of augmented and virtual reality, AI, ML, the one takeaway for me is, which I would kind of be happy to pass on is anticipate change and be ready to adapt. Change is the only constant. It's not just important to learn, but also unlearn because what is relevant today may not be relevant tomorrow. And uh, while you are doing what you do best today, be curious. And be passionate at what you do, right? I mean, those are the uh, thoughts that I will leave uh, someone with if they want a career in technology. Thanks, Cynthia. Very relevant, I would say, especially from the adaptability and ready-to-face-change perspective. Just given all that's happened, this was a really interesting conversation. There are so many more questions, and I hope at some point in time, we can dive deep into certain areas. I will look forward to another conversation. But until then, it was really nice talking to you and having you on this show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chitra. The pleasure was mine. Appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for the opportunity. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.